Welcome to the Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ, tissue, and eye donation and transplantation. You can always find us, guys, at thegiftedlife.org. Check it out. I'm Lori Steele. I'm Joey Boudreaux. And I'm Nyla Schwab. Coming up on today's episode... We'll be collaborating again with our healthcare partners to talk about safe sleep. And I'm going to be bringing up the topic of simplifying your life. That's kind of a mouthful, but yeah, that's what we want to do is just make it a little bit easier. I like that. I'm calmer now, even mm-hmm. having heard that. All right, all that and more right here. Hang on. Here on The Gifted Life, we are visiting with our friends, um, some familiar faces and some new voices. Uh, Chris Noblock is back in. Hey, man. Hey, how you doing? Good. Good to have you back here in studio with the St. Tammany Parish Coroner's Office, Director of Education and Community Outreach. Uh, one of the things that we're going to be talking um, today about and focusing on, safe sleep. And you have a partner with you I today do. joining us here on The Gifted Life, Miss Sarah. Yeah. Uh, Miss Sarah Dickinson, how are you? I'm doing well. She's with the Bureau of Family Health, and she is the Maternal Child Health Coordinator Supervisor. All those letters yep. in that title, <laughs> really smart lady, right? Um, and the great thing is that you guys team up, Chris, Sarah, and the agencies that you guys belong to um, are expert friends, and we learn from you um, each time uh, a representative joins us here on The Gifted Life. So today we're focusing on safe sleep. So Chris, I'll start with you. Why is that so important? Why is that a conversation we should be having? What makes it so important is that for years and years, we always considered uh children that died at the, under the age of one in their sleep as being sudden infant death syndrome. And what we found out over the years is through research and investigation is that a very high percentage of these cases are not SIDS at all. We, we do still use SIDS as a diagnosis, sudden infant death syndrome, but um, very, very seldom do we use that anymore. And the reason is because we've identified the fact that most of these children are dying as a result of some sort of unsafe sleep environment or some sort of unsafe sleep practice, which usually involves suffocation. So... We know this. And so you guys have kind of taken a proactive approach where we talk about you and education. So what's happening uh, in the area where you are and around the state to help kind of educate us and everyone else? You know, what's most important is that that safe sleep uh, has some very uh, simple elements. And that is that a baby should be sleeping alone on their back and in their very own crib, not in an adult sleeping environment. The majority of things that we see, the cases that we have involving suffocation in children, um, those, those children are actually sleeping in an adult sleeping environment with an adult or with some other child. Uh, and they suffocate as a result mm-hmm. because they don't have the, the skill set and the strength to, to, um, to actually save themselves if they get into a situation where they, they can't breathe. Yeah. I, I mean, my, my heart strings right now, because I'm a parent. Uh, Some of my friends just have newborn babies, so it's always like a a concern or worry um, with that, Joey. I would say a fright. I mean, it's it's not just beyond a worry. Oh, yes. One of the the biggest concerns, one of the biggest, the scariest parts about being a a new parent, and of course, my baby's only two, uh, so it wasn't that long ago uh, when, when it was so real to me. You know, I was so afraid of SIDS, right? But I knew SIDS, you know, I didn't obviously have the link that you guys have, but I knew that, that it was a clear link with what we deemed as SIDS to a suffocation or sleep you know, situation. And then when you bring in the number of, of referrals that we get, 
uh, it was it was terrifying. I would say you know frightening is one word, terrifying is another. Mm-hmm. But it was that was a real thing for uh, for Ashley and I, bringing in Blakely, you know, to the world. And I'm curious, Sarah. I know you you're one on on statistics and you understand the data. Did did it reflect the same? I guess in Louisiana as as what we've seen that seemed to be a, a, an increase over the years. And it has. In Louisiana, we lose about 100 infants per year due to unsafe sleep or a sudden unexpected infant death, a suet. And a lot of the times those occur between the ages of one month to three months old. That is the time that those infants are the most vulnerable and at risk. And so a lot of the common risk factors that we see, like Chris mentioned, are they're not sleeping in a crib or their own bassinet or sleeping with other adults or other people. And oftentimes there's loose bedding or toys in their sleep environment too. So those are some of the common risk factors that we see on our end with the data. We have that new little couple that just had the cutest little baby and his hair so long, like just the longest hair I've ever seen. But uh, the new dad, you know, you're sleep deprived. And he says, I have nightmares of just like what you guys just talked about. And Chris, what you're talking about happening. Um, and so they try to take, you know, all of, of these things in mind and, and move forward. Uh, you know, we have the sleep deprived parents, but um, how do you practice sleep, safe sleep? And how do you talk to these parents through that so that they're confident moving forward? So we've actually um, been real fortunate to uh, be mentored by Charlie Hunter and the up in Calcasieu Parish. Um, I mean, that's a familiar name. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. a lot with leading us. the way, right? Um, yep. Actually, Charlie's a great guy. He uh, has a big heart for this this program. Um, he helped us start this program about two years ago. And so, what we do is we bring in under the Cribs for Kids National Safe Sleep Initiative. We'll bring in um, moms, dads, expectant moms, grandmas, grandpas, anybody we can that's going to be uh, a caregiver for the baby. We give them an hour of safe sleep education, which includes the the simple ABCs of safe sleep. Um, baby should be alone with nobody else in the in the sleeping environment with them, on their backs position. Because a lot of people still think, uh, mama still thinks that, that that baby should be on their tummy to sleep. And we know statistically and anatomically, it's much safer for a baby to sleep on their uh, on their back versus their stomach. Uh, and then also, they should be in their very own crib and not in some type of an adult sleeping environment, just an adult bed or perhaps an air mattress or a couch or something like that, where it's not designed for a baby to, to be slept in. Um, so that's that's kind of how we structure our program. And then at the very end, um, that mom gets a free crib um, through our Aww. program. Um, it's a pack and play. It's a really nice portable crib that she can take anywhere that they can use. If they have to evacuate for a hurricane, if the uh, they can use it just as a regular crib and replace a big crib around the house. That's a Louisiana thing, right? Like we got to prepare for <laughs> right, right, emergencies yeah. and but movement. I'm, but I'm also thinking about like when you're the grandparents or somebody else is keeping your right. child and you don't mm-hmm. know who, what's in their home. Yeah, yeah. How nice that would be to just right. be able to take that with you. It is. It only weighs about 15 pounds. It folds up into a really nice uh, little package. And and most importantly, I think I should stress that that these kids are not only more comfortable because, you know, we go to a hotel. What's the first thing you complain about? You complain about the beds, the mattress, the, pillow. the pillows, <laughs> the, the sheets. Good point. Yeah, it's a, and and so the babies are—they're no different than we are. You know, they—they they really like their own sleeping environment that they that they're in every day, and and it not only is more comfortable for them, but it's safer statistically for them to sleep in the same consistent sleeping environment. So um, it's great to have that um, as a part of the program. We give that away for free, and uh, and mom has a safe platform for that baby to sleep in. And what's some of the feedback that you're kind of getting after they go through all of this, like? I wasn't 
aware or like, what are you hearing? Yeah. A lot of that is, is just awareness. You know, they're not aware that babies should be sleeping on their backs. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause almost. back in the day, right? right. We didn't right. have all this. Uh, well, you know, that makes, well, it was, you, you slept on you, you slept on, on your, uh, stomach, stomach. Yes. so that, so that you, you're afraid of vomit and, yeah. And maybe aspirating and things like that. Like that's right. what came to my mind, you know, without knowing. And we, so, oh, go, go ahead. Oh, so part of the program is that we we have a slide which clearly shows um, statistically that that when they started making the recommendation that babies sleep on their back, that they they dropped the infant mortality rate by about fifty percent over ten years. But more importantly, I can show mamas and grandmas and and everybody this anatomical slide, which really shows how how the the tubes are positioned, where if a baby is on its back and it spits up, it's going to kind of roll backwards and gravity is going to keep it back into the esophagus and in the stomach. The the reverse is is what's what's dangerous because then the gravity pulls that down and it goes right into the the lung area. It can be sucked into the lungs and the baby aspirate. Oh, see, I'm not clinical and all this stuff mm-hmm. makes me hyperventilate. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, but accurate, like I am, my children are well out of the crib. And so when I had children, I was kind of naive and I just was like, oh, I have my baby. And I had these strong women around me who told yeah, me same. what to do. Right. And so I think about in, we have such a mixed diversity in Louisiana different cultures, strong women leading. And I'm wondering what that would look like. How do you educate and get out there and fight the myths and fight, well, misconceptions? And, well, that's the way we did it, and you turned out just fine. That's so, right. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, <laughs> yeah. my mom probably slept with, with us when we were babies, and, and I probably slept with my kids because my kids are all way over. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we just have to learn to change that family tradition that we have. And, and as far as feedback, what I get from grandmas and all is I never knew that, you know, and, and yeah, so yeah. there I change a lot of mama's minds. And that that to me is the is a is a big um, plus. And I see that with donation, too, because back in the day, they didn't talk about donation like mm-hmm. they do today. And so these younger folks are going back and saying, well, did you know? And here's the education. Mm-hmm. So we know education is is key. And Sarah, what about some statistics that you can bring in that talks about, like, so if if Louisiana, where do we fall in the United States with SIDS or death for children under the age of three months? Well, in Louisiana, we have the third highest infant mortality rate in the country. And so on the average year, we lose about 100 infants due to unsafe sleep or sudden unexplained infant deaths. Mm. It's just, it's a high number. So we have got a job to do and to continue educating these families and mamas and new moms and, you know, not even our first time moms, but everybody needs the education of how to sleep their baby safely. Mm. And then, you know, we have uh, socioeconomics. Do you find differences in that area? Yes. So families that live in economically disadvantaged communities are often have lack of resources or effective infrastructures. Often those are at higher risk for unsafe sleep conditions. They may not have access to a crib, for example, and so they resort to co-sleeping. And that is a thing that we see a lot of. A lot of the risk factors present, um, 83% are when infants are sleeping with other people or co-sleeping. And so what we recommend for those families to do instead of um, bed sharing or co-sleeping is room sharing so they can still have their baby close, but they're in their own safe sleep environment, like a pack and play or a crib. You all mentioned the three months. I'm curious. So what's the, what's kind of the upper age where you would say that 
even co-sleeping, but you would say that this isn't as urgent an issue. I, again, my, my baby's two. You know, I'm wondering, is this still a major concern? Obviously, she's very strong. She can hold her head up and things like at what point from then till now would it have been safe? Like what would. Yeah, because she's there, is crawling there a, in your bed at that it, age. <laughs> is there an age or is it or is it more based on their their like their strength or are there certain benchmarks that someone would look at? Or you just say in perpetuity. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, do you want to take that one or you want me? Uh, sure, I can take that one. I think okay. that each baby, of course, is different because they all have different developmental stages. And so one of the things that we, we stress in the class is tummy time. And tummy time is where you put a baby on its stomach in a supervised environment, and they, they work on the things. They, they're able to look around. They're able to lift their heads. They, they build those strength in their necks, in their chest, in their arms, in their legs. And what that baby does with tummy time is not only get to its milestones faster, but it also develops that baby's skill set and strength and ability to save itself if its airway becomes compromised. There really isn't, I can't, I would be really hesitant to say there's a, a safe time uh, at, at any point. I can confirm that in 2020, I did an analysis of, of the uh, deaths under one we had, and that two to four month period was every case that we had was between that two and four month period. But that doesn't mean that that baby is not vulnerable from the time he yeah. comes from the hospital till the time he's about one year old. Yeah. So, Sarah, I'm just looking over um, this fact sheet that uh, was put together for this interview. And so it says the most common sudden unexpected infant deaths uh, risk factors present among these deaths. And you mentioned infants sleeping with other people, 83 percent. Infants sleeping in something other than a crib or bassinet, 85 percent. Infants sleeping with loose bedding or toys, 70 percent. Um, so just reviewing all this, a lot of these deaths are preventable. And that's kind of what we're trying to to do here, right? Educate and prevent. Absolutely. Yes, that's correct. And sometimes we have multiple risk factors present at one time. And I know, Chris, you've seen that too. We might have a baby that is placed on their stomach in a bed with another um, person and loose bedding. And so it's not all the time just one risk factor presence. Very often it's more than one. And those are just, you know, stacking up against the babies. But these are preventable if all these risk factors are removed. And you can do that by, you know, practicing the safe sleep method of back on their on their backs alone in a crib or bassinet. And let's talk about the other evidence-based risk factors that you guys have listed. Some of them are stomach or side sleeping. And we know that that's a generational thing, like kind of yeah. like we touched on earlier. Some mm -hmm. of these um, grandmas are like, that's how you slept and you were fine. So that is one of those um, risk factors. Preterm birth weight or low birth weight. Um, having cigarette smoke in the home is also a risk factor. And then alcohol, drug, or tobacco usage by the mother during pregnancy is also another risk factor for sudden unexplained infant deaths. might add that um, in regards to smoking, it's one of the other big takeaways we try to get our parents and grandparents to understand is that uh, a baby who is exposed to smoke in utero is twice as likely to have a SIDS, a true SIDS outcome. And when I say true SIDS, I mean an unexplainable type condition. Uh, rather than some, a suffocation. But a true SIDS of uh, those babies that are exposed to cigarette smoke in utero have a two times or as likely to have a SIDS outcome of a baby who's not. It even increases when a baby is born and that baby is exposed to third hand, second and third hand smoke outside of the outside of the womb. So we know second hand smoke is um, what we floats around in the air mm -hmm. that we could all breathe. And uh, But third hand smoke is those chemicals and the, the get into people's clothing and the bedding. And if, if that Folks are smoking inside the house, and that baby is exposed to that when their face goes into the mm. into into your your shirt when you're holding the baby after it's full of smoke. 
So that baby, those babies have a three times or three times as likely to, to have a SIDS outcome than a baby who is not. So that's wow. really important. Wow. So, so does that change now with everyone vaping? Is there any real distinguishable difference with the vaping smoking versus you know, typical cigarette smoking, or has that not really been studied yet? We don't really have a lot of data on it, but we do have that clear data around cigarette smoke. So I think vaping is still kind of on the rise, and we're getting more data on that information too. Well, I'm going to go ahead and kick it out here from from seeing lungs, uh, you know, that that of people who have vaped, the 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 appearance and the function of lungs changes even more dramatically. Uh, with someone who's vaped than, than cigarettes. Like we see that like they, they, it causes what we call blebs, which is a bunch of little blisters, like hundreds of little blisters all over uh, each of the lungs, each side of the lungs, all of the lobes. And, uh, and I would imagine, you know, obviously it's newer, but in, in all of our research hasn't been done yet because it's newer, but I would imagine as those, uh, as as you guys start looking in a deep a deeper dive, I would think it's probably going to be very similar. And, and of course, you still have all the the uh, chemicals in vapes that you do. Um, for instance, nicotine, and, and nicotine does a number of things in a child. When the average person wants to have a cigarette, they want to calm down. They have a cigarette; it slows their heart rate, it calms them down. Well, it does the same thing to a baby, and so a baby needs to have a heart rate around 140, 150 to be stable. And so, when they're exposed to nicotine, it drops their heart rate and puts a stress on their cardiovascular system. So, I think that that has a lot to play into it too. I want to this, protect all the babies. Oh, and see, I've been <laughs> oh my, there's so much information for like a grandbaby, not. I mean, I'm not getting one anytime soon, I don't think. But um, I was going to ask, sidebar. And I'm always wanting to borrow somebody's baby. So one, I'm going to ask for the pack and play to come with right. me. Yes. And I'm going through this thinking, this is a lot of information. So new mom or new new family, how do you get all this information out to them? But is it at the hospital? I mean, like, this is this is great information. So how are people learning about it? So um, in our particular situation, we are partnered with uh, some of the hospitals. We're partnered with some of the uh, OBGYNs, the pediatricians. And so we get referrals from those individuals will refer uh, their patients over to us to take the class. And that's how we get our information out. I think there's a number of other hospitals which probably teach this as part of their lactation um, nursing mm-hmm. program. Um, but we do get a lot of referrals from them. So I remember That's, being a new mom. It's a lot of information, right? It is. Like it's it a is. Lot. And you're scared. And you want to do right. You want to make an A plus on on everything. But you have your neighbors. You have your your family telling you what they did, what you should, what you shouldn't do. And sometimes you know you go to the people that you trust the most for information, which is not right, as we all know. But Sarah, what about you? Like across the state, since you're seeing a bigger area? Yeah. And across the state, we have maternal child health coordinators in each region. And they are the um, nurses that are actually getting these cases of child death and doing the investigations and review panels with our coroners and local hospitals. And so they are seeing firsthand all of the details of these cases when we have these infant deaths. And so they are very proactive in reaching out to the OBGYN offices and kind of starting those conversations prenatally so moms can start pre-planning instead of, okay, you're in the hospital, you've had your baby, now let's figure out where your baby's going to sleep when you go home in 24 hours. So we've really taken some initiative of pre-planning and starting that conversation in the prenatal setting with our OBGYN doctors. And even into pediatrician visits, um, we're having follow up at those 
one-week check-ins, two-month check-ins, any time of intentional visit, we're really being proactive and giving support to our providers to have those conversations with mom and giving them the resources in place to show them and model what safe sleep looks like for these babies. So if we have a, a pregnant mom out there, an excited grandma, and they're like, I want to I want to start learning now before it gets to that point, um, where, where do we suggest they start? Is it something online? Is it calling an office? Um, so both of y'all can, can answer that. We just have to call the coroner's office, uh, 985-781-1150. We do two classes a month. We generally do the second Thursday of the month at 10 a.m., um, so that folks can come that, that aren't working during the day. And then at, on the fourth Thursday of the month, we do it at 6 p.m. so that um, perhaps the whole family can come. Um, we do that twice. But, uh, again, if there's a, a, a special need, if somebody's getting ready to, to deliver this week or their due date is this week, and our class, we'll bring them in one-on-one so that we make sure that they have a crib. Um, and we, we're not just here in St. Tammany. We, we take anyone who wants to come. So if somebody regionally, somebody from New Orleans, somebody from uh, Washington Parish, Tangy, Livingston, they're certainly welcome to come. I love this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's just great information, and it's so needed. And I think about the families that we face, um, and I always tell families, gosh, if, if we can save one life, then it's it's not just that one life. It's it's just that ripple effect of all the family, the friends. The family, yeah. mm-hmm. And so when we say y'all see 100 children die in Louisiana, I love that y'all are out fighting for each life and preventing that. Yeah. Final thoughts, Miss Sarah? Yeah, I've enjoyed this. This is so great. Thank you. Thanks for your time. Thanks for your information and for teaching us. Mr. Chris, final thoughts? Uh, just that one is too many. Yeah. So I think um, if you have an opportunity to come out and take that class, your first time mom, even second time, third time moms, if you haven't had this information before, um, and please bring your families to, to take the class as well because we want all the care- caregivers to be aware of, of the uh, safe sleep. I will be a walking billboard for y'all. Every pregnant woman I see, yes. I will be referring them to y'all. Well, and the vapors, that. I talk to them too. Yeah. Yep. Always, every ch- every <laughs> Education I, is key. That's why I threw it out there because yeah. every time I get a chance, I educate on, on vaping because people think it's safe. Uh, and it's, it's a safer alternative. Yeah, yeah. And, it's, and it's not. So if, if that's the case for someone smoking cigarettes, you know, we don't have the stats yet, but it's pro- it's safe to, to assume that uh, it's going to be very similar. I do have one last question because we have listeners that are beyond the Louisiana borders, um, even beyond the United States. So if they are interested in something, I mean, can they reach out to y'all to see how they can get that going in their own state or in their own country? Sure. I think that the best advice to them is to go on the National Cribs for Kids website. Okay. They can become Cribs a partner. Good. Um, Cribs for Kids. I think it's dot org but they can reach out and find out who's providing those services in their community and then they could contact that but they want to start their own program certainly they can become a cribs for kids partner and the way to do that is to start by contacting them cribsforkids.org you is were right I was look right. at you mr educator yes <laughs> yeah. yes our louisiana specific site we have is the partnersforfamilyhealth.org and that links you to your regional coordinators as well so if they need some more specific uh, help locating some resources, they can go there. And we're on social media and all of the things. Say it one more time. Say that website. Partnersforfamilyhealth.org. I'm on it now. Me Very too. good. All right, Miss Sarah, Mr. Briss, thank y'all so much. Thank you. Thank you.
All right, friends, taking a moment for mental health. Yeah, I heard something about being simpler, but I don't know if it's going to really Not in get 2023. Me... Can't be done, yeah. Nyla. <laughs> Everything is too complicated. <laughs> you know, I, sometimes I don't know what I'm going to talk about. And then this morning, my, my teenager came down and she was just... Wow, her energy was high, and yeah. it was, yeah. and my energy started going up, and I was thinking, ah, she was getting mad, I, and then I thought, you know what, I'm not doing this. I am, I'm going to slow down, and take a step back, and I, and I realized what she was saying is she had so much on her plate, right, right. She had this, 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 and this, yeah. and and it is a lot, and I feel like that this world's kind of fast like that. Do y'all feel like that? Yeah. Um, Absolutely. I feel like, um, you know, technology made some things easier, but then I feel like you're always on a leash. Like mm-hmm. you can't like uh, ever 24/7. unplug. Yeah. And that's tough. Yeah. And I feel like we're going back to pre-COVID, back into the offices, which, but we're not taking into the account that we have to travel. We have to pack lunches or whatever Traffic. it is. Traffic. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So, but. So much. So thinking about simplifying our life, when it, when we say yes to something, don't y'all put a lot of thought into it. If it's it's whether it's a challenge, a better opportunity, um, it, maybe it's it's mine's like what it's, time it's, of it's, night it's, is there going to be food? Those are my <laughs> oh my, mine generally are uh, how is it going to get done? Like to yeah. me, it's whatever it is. It's it's my my thing is the how. Yeah, like, and I start thinking of the logistics, and that's just how my brain goes. The schedule, yeah. Well, I heard uh, Lisa Turkset. I think that's how you say her name. She said, "Every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else." Mm-hmm. And I sometimes think that we put more thought into our yes than mm-hmm. we do our no's. Because when you say yes to a new project, are you saying no to more family time? And you know, today's speaker, we were just talking about you know SIDS, and that's that's life is so precious, and our our mission is making life happen. So, living to the fullest. So, what does that fullest look like? And I think that we can sometimes get into this rush of things that, when someone's energy picks up or the world around us picks up, our our energy can pick up. Mm-hmm. So if we're not intentional and mindful to like bring ourselves down or bring ourselves back to where we need to be and not be pushed like a current into what everybody else needs, then we are we are really looking at what our life is going to look like. Are mm-hmm. we living it to the fullest? And so I would say if people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's mambo jumbo. But my question would be, Joey, describe yourself in five words. Oh man! So you didn't oh, see that coming. Yours is coming next, that's Lori. Three Darn words it. were taken already. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, honestly, complicated is one of those words for me, and it's okay. and it's and I like to simplify. Yeah, you know, but but there's it's it, everything is trying to figure out how for me. Yeah. Like I feel like that's how half of my life mm-hmm. I'm trying really trying to figure out how like things get thrown. In a, in the in like my it's like direction, Tetris, I call it. It's like every day. It's, it is like Tetris. Yeah. How are you going to yeah. get through the All day? Right. Yeah, all right. Got to figure this out. And how is it going to? How are we going to? You know, whether whether it's working with donation and helping, you know, facilitate donation and transplant with huge. hospitals, saving lives, or whether or whether it's my wife, you know, coming to me and saying, "Hey, I really want to buy this house uh, because we live in a rent house, but we still have this property." And what like it's all how it does, and yeah. It, complicates everything. But I think you could do it. You can well, do let it, me ask you this. So let's simplify it. Five words. Describe yourself. That's hard. It is. Do you have yours? Positive. I like to think giving, thoughtful, passionate, and similar, but loving. 
very good. That is. I know. Put me on the spot. I mean, I, I had a little more time, but I, I mean, like, I'm just gonna go off the cuff here. But I, I, I say joyful, happy. Are those two the same? Family. Mm-hmm. Two more. That's tough. It is tough. <laughs> I mean, can I copy? Loving, passionate. I think yeah. so. You. Yeah. No, I'm gonna start to wrap it up. But <laughs> no, we want to hear your Where you start. And looking at who you are yeah. or who you want to be and then it's, being intentional throughout your day. Because if you don't align with who you say you are, then you're always going to be this battle yeah. within yourself. And yeah. we already battle enough on the outside world. So it's really taking a moment to think about who are you going to be today? Yeah. And it's funny because like when I think of, of LOPA, I think of an organization, it comes very clear because we are selfless, authentic mm-hmm. And passionate, mm. and and to to put those core values individually, something I never did, and not not an exercise I've done. But it is interesting, and I, I, that you're exactly right. Like think about it. Does it fit in your own core values? If the answer is yes, do it. If the answer is no, mm. don't. Yeah, it helps guide us. I was gonna say our our families help me um, to to resettle because like if I'm in traffic and you know traveling, you you talked about that in life getting busy. And it's easy to be like, oh, come on, go a little faster or something. Um, but then some of our recipients are like, turn on the music, like use that time yeah. to, to jam and enjoy because uh, I almost didn't didn't have that. So they help me to like refocus and, and inspire um, when life gets a little too crazy. Yeah. So, and yeah, simplifying life. That my, sounds great. Huh? Yeah. Back to my teenager. I was thinking we may just have to make some choices about what comes off our plate because maybe we've said yes to too many things. But, you know, this is we get one life one life to live it and we get we meet those families every day who are are facing that so yes all right you have a topic you'd like for us to cover do you have your five things that you want to share with us nyla next time uh email us info at thegiftedlife.org here on the gifted life podcast it's time for our q a yeah nyla this question is a perfect question for you for thank nyla. You i think so our, too thank yep, you thank you All to right. our listener who, who kicked this in i live in another state but my loved one was a donor outside of their home state who do i contact to find out about their gifts of life you know i would start with the state that your loved one died in with the local opo the organ procurement organization. Um, And to really keep it simple, if this is a question you're wondering and you're calling us, you can always call our family service department. And we love to talk to families regardless of where you're from. And we will try to together figure out where we need to get you um, and how to get you that right person. And our number, um, you can just do the 1-800 number, mm-hmm. 1-800-521-4483, and ask for family services. Yeah, and you do that all the time. We I do. like that. We do. Um, and sometimes it's like, oh, th- this seems like a tough case, and then um, you simplify it. And, you know, and I think sometimes if you can't get the answers you need, then we're also that listening ear to figure yeah. out, like, what's the next step and how mm-hmm. to help. I like it. All right. Thanks for that question. Great answer. If you have a question for us here on The Gifted Life, just give us a call. 504-648-3477. In every episode of The Gifted Life, we honor a hero. Today's hero is Jean Fontenot. Jean was brought into this world on May 21st, 1938. He attended school in Kaplan, Louisiana, where he graduated from 12th grade. One week after graduation, he enlisted into the Air Force and served as an air policeman for four years from 1956 to 1960. 
In December of 1962, he joined the Kaplan Police Department, where he served for eight years. Then in June of 1970, he joined the Abbeville Police Department, where he served for over 16 years. He retired as a lieutenant with over 28 years of combined service. After his retirement, he enjoyed fishing, crabbing, reading, and spending time with his family and grandchildren. He was a loving husband, father, and grandfather. Gene was a very generous and giving person. So on April 19, 2008, when he passed away and we were approached about donating his corneas, we knew he would want to help someone to see through his donation of sight. And now we pause and say thank you to Gene for the gift of life. Episode 227 of The Gifted Life in the books. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can register as an organ tissue and eye donor anytime. Registerme.org. It's always great to share the podcast and help others through other means. And it was great to have Sarah Dickinson of the Bureau of Family Health and Chris Noblock, our friend from St. Tammany Parish Coroner's Office, to come in and talk about safe sleep for infants. Such a worthy thing to discuss and and certainly something important to educate everyone on. Yeah, education is key. Please spread the word. The best place to find us at our website, thegiftedlife.org. Listen there and find links to listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a five-star rating. It really helps others to find us. On social media, we have a Facebook page, The Gifted Life Podcast. You can also follow us on both Twitter and Instagram at Gifted Life Pod. Our ask is that you go out and do something you would normally do to help us make life happen. Thanks for listening. This is a production of the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency, or LOPA. The Gifted Life is hosted by Lori Steele, Joey Boudreaux, and Nala Schwab. Our executive producer is Kirsten Hines. Producer is Shalon Carraway. And we are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Covington, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez. 